With each message in the three-week series, we're going to look at a different aspect of multiplication. This week, we're going to be looking at the multiplication of churches. Next week, we're going to be looking at the fact that multiplication always means getting younger because you have new birth involved in multiplication. And in week three, we're going to be looking at the multiplication of meaningful gospel community. And with each of these, we're going to be coming back to asking one simple question. Is this radical? Is this supposed to be radical? And the conclusion for each of these is going to be no, this is not radical at all. This is simply church being church. So I'm going to pray. I'll dig in. God, I pray that we would see that you have done all that which is radical already to reconcile us to the Father. You're radical. Or you've just called us to be obedient. Or we pray that you would use these two churches to spread the name and the fame of Jesus throughout the shore and beyond. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So to prove that this is not radical, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Look with me at Genesis 1.28. And it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the birds, over the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God's commandment to be fruitful and multiply was a creation ordinance. This was something that existed before sin entered the world. This is Genesis chapter 1. Sin does not enter until Genesis chapter 3. So this commandment for multiplication, for spreading out, for seeing God's people multiplied throughout the earth was not something that was a result of sin. It wasn't a result of God trying to fix something that was broken. It was something that God commanded way back in the beginning of the world before sin ever entered when he looked at the world and said, Behold, this is very good. And the things that were included in this original idea of multiplication was blessing. It says, and God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful. So as you go out and multiply, there's going to be fruit in this. And multiply, fill the earth. As you fill the earth, subdue it. You're going to be bringing dominion as you go out. So what is it that we're multiplying as we spread out throughout the earth? We're multiplying the image of God. That's why we take so seriously this call to plant churches. You and I are image bearers of the one true and living God. When we go out into the earth and we take 
that which has been broken and marred by sin. And we see the power of the gospel reclaim that which has been broken by sin. And we start to see that beautiful work of gospel restoration. We begin to see the image of God unmarred, recreated in our very midst. That's why we take this calling to plant churches very highly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're called ministers of reconciliation. We're ambassadors of the living God. We are ambassadors of the image of God. And as ambassadors, we take that image out with us once we leave. That's why we constantly tell you guys that it's not supposed to be just about what happens in these four walls. We're supposed to be trained here and then sent out so that we could be image bearers, salt and light throughout the earth. But the point of my message before I tee it up for Daniel is that people do not instinctively choose to multiply. Even as I've talked about church planting over the years, there's some pain involved in the process. Some of these people that are going to be sent out are people that have become your best friends, that you've done life with, that have poured into your children, that you have cried with, that you've rejoiced with, that have been a part of the very fabric of your life. So this calling of Hey, multiply, potentially even separate, seeing these relationships that are oh so meaningful begin to take on a different dynamic, that's not an easy calling. Uh, I've been leading up to this service an absolute emotional wreck. Um, Daniel's my best friend. I, I've been training for this day. We've been praying for this day. We've been this is what we've wanted to do. We didn't set out to start a church so that it would be the biggest church. We wanted to start a church that would be a launching pad for seeing churches planted that planted churches that planted churches that make disciples that make disciples. But then the day comes when it happens, and it's not easy. It's easier to just stay under one roof. It's easier to just have one big party. And if you look throughout redemptive history, even though God has always told his people, be fruitful, go out and multiply, God's people have typically responded to that charge by saying some variation of no. I wanted to give you a couple of examples throughout scripture and then how God chooses to deal with those examples. And then Daniel is going to bring it home by showing you what Jesus has to say about these examples in this calling. But all the way back in Genesis 4, we see the first time where there was a refusal to go and multiply. When you see Cain kill Abel, and there's this refusal to multiply the image of God. The image of God is taken and marred and broken through that murder for the first time. The first time you see it super clearly is Genesis chapter 11. God says, go out from the ark. Go and start a new creation. The flood has wiped out everything. It's time to begin anew. And instead, the people all gather and begin to build a tower. And they say, now nothing will be impossible. That's the story we know as Babel. 
Then Genesis chapter 13. There is this little covenant in chapter 12 where Abraham is told, go out and I'm going to make you as numerous as the stars in the sky. If you can count the sand on the shore, that's how numerous your people will be. But then you see him and Lot squabbling about the promised land. Then again, the beginning of Exodus, you see God bringing his people down to Egypt to be able to sustain them during a time of great famine that was going on in the land. But there's this refusal to leave the land of Egypt and to multiply as the children of promise in the promised land that God has offered. Go again into Numbers chapter 11. And you actually see once there is this great exodus, God does an amazing work on their behalf to be able to send them out of Egypt, free them from captivity, free them from slavery, send them into the promised land that he's offering them. And what do they say? They say, we we hate this. We want to go back to the pre-multiplication days. We want to go back to the days of slavery that we had when we got to eat onions. I never understood why they bug out about onions so much. That's always, I hate onions, but uh, I would take manna over an onion any day. But um, multiplication didn't come easy to them. Look at Acts chapter 1 through 6 where you first see the church come on the scene. And just in case... They thought they were going to remain in Jerusalem. God shows them in chapter 7, which we'll show in a moment, that he had other plans and that multiplication was going to be a part of his design. And then you have countless examples today. If we learn one thing in Ecclesiastes, is that there's nothing new under the sun. This idea of multiplication still threatens people. I mean, when Daniel wanted to go and plant a church, there really could have been a couple of reactions. And I've seen these reactions to young men over and over in the networks that I'm a part of. You see a young man start to say, I want to go and spread my wings. I, I want to go do what God's calling me to do. I believe God is calling me to plant the church. And you could either celebrate that or you can feel threatened by it. Or you could give some kind of spiritualese reason in between. Well, yeah, we believe you're called to do that, but not now. The budget's not right. Not now. We still need some people to fill these ministries. Not now. Not now. There's always going to be a reason for not now. Today is a celebration of the fact that we're not saying not now. We're saying that God has called them for such a moment as this. So I want you to look at what God's response is for people who refuse to multiply Just look at the same ones that I looked at. And I want you to leave here with the thought and the understanding that God refuses to allow us to refuse to multiply. And he shows it over and over and over in Scripture. In Genesis 4, when they tried to take the image of God, God raised up the line of Seth through which the lineage of the Redeemer would eventually come through. In Genesis 11, when they refused to scatter, God confused their languages and scattered them amongst the nations. And we had all of the different tribes that were just spread out. And then at Pentecost, he brings them back 
once again. In Genesis 13, we see if you're going to refuse to spread out, well, how about some Sodom and Gomorrah action? Um, Exodus, well, God did for them what they could not or would not. And he saves them from themselves and from the Egyptians. In Numbers 11, they wanted leeks and onions. And God's saying, why do you want leeks and onions when I want to feed you with milk and honey? Acts chapter 7, when the church needed to spread out, we see the martyrdom of Stephen. And it begins to spread out throughout the whole known world. And the church of today, God will get his way. We will multiply. So we can either resist or we can celebrate that. Folks, multiplication is not without pain. I love Daniel. I love the team that we're sending out. I love the Nelms family. We've been doing ministry together for a long time. A lot of the people that are going out on this team, I was there when you got saved. I, I was in the pool with you when you were baptized. Multiplying is not without pain. But brothers and sisters, today's service is a testimony to the fact that it's worth it. And it's a joy. And God is multiplying his people. So why not come in agreement with what his spirit is doing? So today we celebrate multiplication because Jesus celebrated multiplication. And he did so in the Great Commission, which is what Daniel is going to talk to you about. Hello. How are we doing? Good? I'm doing all right. All right, well, I never split a sermon before. This is a new thing, but hey, this is pretty cool. It's pretty. So, thank you guys. You know, uh, like Eric, just feeling a lot of things this morning. And um, yeah, but I just wouldn't be rather doing anything else. So, today, as we. Looking to the back end of this, want to look at all of what was just said and look at the response of Jesus and how the multiplication uh, culminated in the gospel itself. I uh, read this passage. This is post-resurrection, right? Jesus had already done his uh, redemption on the cross. His resurrection has already taken place, and as he's getting ready to leave this earth, in Matthew 28, we see. Starting in verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus has come. He came to reverse the curse and to once again not only gather his people, but to send them to spread this message of redemption. He came to remove the obstacles of sin that lied between God and man. And as we just saw, 
Sin has always had an inverted effect on us. It has always caused us to do navel-gazing. Individually, we curve inward, and as a community, we like to do the same thing together and stay put, right? So God intended this world to be filled with his knowledge, as Habakkuk says, from sea to sea, right? He intended this world to be filled with people loving him and living a life of purpose beneath his kingship, yet we wanted to be our own king. We wanted to stay put and to be concerned only about ourselves and not filling this world with his glory, but rather only ours. But upon Jesus Christ and his coming, he began the process of this removal of sin by paying for it with his own blood and ultimately defeating it with the resurrection from the dead. And now this process of filling the world with his glory once again has begun by the commission of his people to spread the gospel that God and man have once again been reconciled through Jesus Christ, that hope is available for all who love Jesus and cry out to him. So I want to briefly just look at this, break down the Great Commission, this famous passage, and draw a few things out for us when it comes to God using us and placing us into his mission, into this mission of reconciling the world back to himself through Christ, right? And to see the number of disciples multiplied today. So... Verse 16, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So what we can gather from this is first, multiplication. It begins uh, within you and with you directing your life to Christ. As the curse is being reversed in your life throughout the Christian life, as you're repenting of your sin and growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, you find yourself right, being renewed in that image of God, Right? His Holy Spirit filling you, drawing you to himself. All the work of the Spirit of Christ, everything inside of you begins to yearn to follow Jesus. And the Great Commission actually begins with Jesus directing his disciples where to go. This passage doesn't give us specifics on what mountain, right, or anything like that. I don't think that the, the point was that. In this passage, Jesus seems, as we're going to see in a minute especially, he's establishing himself as the authority now. And it begins if his disciples are willing to say, you know what, yes, you follow me this far, but now I have authority to direct you on where to go. Like I'm the one in charge now. So before Jesus commissions his people out, he places himself essentially as their new authority and their willingness to walk in that obedience. That begins the process of God's multiplication in the church, right? It begins within you and within your heart? Are you willing to let him direct your life? Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted, always laughed at that. I mean, this guy just died, and he's standing in front of you, and some people are like, I don't know. I don't know about this. But yeah, anyway. With the process of being a sent people to go and share this good news to a world hurting it doesn't only begin with your willingness to walk in obedience to Jesus, but it's fueled by worship. When they saw him, what did they do? They worshiped him. It's fueled by worship. Your obedience to Jesus is fueled by worship. And worship fuels obedience. These are the two things Matthew lays out for us before we even get to Jesus' Jesus's commissioning. And as uh, Pastor Eric quoted earlier, uh, you know, years ago, Piper, his famous words, right? He, he says if... Um, that's my paraphrase of John Piper. As we dive deep into the worship of Jesus and find ourselves in all of him, we then fill with lots of emotions, one of them being we're saddened, 
when we see others who do not have Jesus at the center of their lives. And we realize that missions exist because there are people in this world among us, even in our own neighborhood to the most distant corner of this world, who are not worshiping Jesus. And thus, missions exist because worship does not exist in those places. So first, worship at the feet of Jesus. Begin to live your life within your spheres right there at his feet. Walk in obedience. And then we have the building objects as a community of people to fuel mission in your life and in this church's life. And Jesus came and said to them, verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority is his. Our obedience and worship belongs to him because in light of his resurrection, God has granted him all authority in heaven and on earth. That's like a euphemism saying that Christ has authority over all and everywhere. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that in the future one day Christ will get his kingdom and he will deliver it to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. And this authority will one day be delivered to God the Father. But this verse speaks of the result of his authority today and the ultimate outcome of it. He today is in the process of destroying every rule and every authority and every power that separates God and man. There are spiritual authorities, spiritual rules, and spiritual power. And the commissioning of his church is the medium by which he is destroying these things today. And one day, as we see in Revelation, that will happen in its finality, right? It will be shown to all the world that Christ is in authorities. He completely rids the world of evil and sin and death forever. But our mission today is giving this world a glimpse of what is to come, saying Christ is in rule. He's sitting on his throne. He's in a business of destroying sin and evil in this world through his people, through the preaching and the ministering of the gospel to the far corners of this earth. So the Great Commission, as we see in verse 9, 19, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the Great Commission is directly tied to his authority. It says, go therefore, therefore, because I have all authority, because you are a worshiping and obedient group of disciples, that I have the authority to direct you and tell you where to go. Now, therefore, because I'm ruling and reigning, because I am a king sitting on my throne, I've established that because I've defeated death, you go. As we are little Christs, as the word Christians mean, when we share the gospel and we love our neighbor in the name of Jesus, we are actually actively extending this reign of Christ into the hearts of others by the power of God working through you. God is using us in the supernatural work of bringing his ruling throne of authority into others' hearts, and this is ultimately the work of multiplication and the work of disciple-making. And this work is not only for people who look like you, right, who smell like you. Our mission is not sent only to those people whom you are very comfortable sharing this good news with. This good news of Jesus and his resurrection and the beginning of this reversal of the curse in this world is not only for those in your socioeconomic rung. This gospel is for all nations. It is for all people. This gospel is to be extended to each and every person in this world and even in your neighborhood. And this stretches us in our own nation, we're in our context here, simply because we are such a, a melting pot of, of, of cultures. And some people may not know Jesus, 
But even a few miles down the street, their life in our country looks like almost, their experience is a whole different world almost, just a few miles down the street from you. It can be a little easier just to only go to the people who look like you and tell them about Jesus. That's, that's easy, right? What about those or different nationalities in our own country? What about those who speak different languages, various minorities who live by the thousands all around us, people who dress different, they have different customs and different holidays? And take it a stretch farther to understand this great commission that we're all missionaries being sent to. What about the people who may not share your skin color, right? What about people who are living lifestyles that are radically uh, different than what the scripture calls us to live? Living in homosexual lifestyles, people even interested in things and partaking in gender transitions, people that we are not comfortable maybe as Christians perhaps wanting to go and to befriend and to love, but the gospel's for all of these people. Hallelujah. What about the nations all around the world who are steeped in poverty, who have no access to a Bible in their language? What about Europe, who has been in the secular post-Christian society for generations? We could go on. We could go on. We must really see this verse for what it is and realize that all nations means all nations, but also all people around you. It's a both and. And all nations includes this nation. All nations includes all other nations that is not your nation. You understand the point. Sometimes churches can be really good at supporting foreign missionaries, which we absolutely must. But we cannot neglect our own nation. For that is included in this all nations. And we should all be aware of this, that our own nation is rapidly becoming less and less Christianized. Whatever that formerly meant. In the Northeast, especially, churches are closing at an insanely rapid rate. So go, therefore. This is you. Yes, we are planting a church, but this missionary activity is not just for our church. Plant every single one of you because you are a Christian. This great commission has now given you an identity of being a sent one. Do you understand that? You are now a sent people. And God seeks the reversal of this curse through the power of the gospel that will be coming through your lips and through the work of your hands. By God's grace, we pray that he will change the hearts of those who come into contact with you, who receive your love, who receive the words coming through your lips of the gospel. But you are to go and to be his workman and his mouthpiece. Go to all nations. And he says this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The result of mission by God's grace and his choosing is the response of those who hear the good news. When people respond and they see their need for Jesus, they stand before the church and they receive a new identity. We're going to see this soon, today. Their life is now wrapped up in God's. And before a body of people, they identify their existence with God, and they recognize that in Christ, they have now received new life, right? And that's what baptism signifies. We'll get into that more in a little bit. And what is the result of a bunch of people who received new life in Christ? What happens next? They're baptized, they're into this new church body. What happens next? Well, after Christ said these words soon after he ascended back into heaven, we just read that he sent his disciples out. We go to the book of Acts and we see Peter and around 120 or so people um, found themselves in a very radical, supernatural, dramatic fashion receiving the Holy Spirit. 
They started speaking miraculously in the languages of various people groups in the middle of Pentecost, right? If you understand Pentecost and them speaking various languages, there was people from all over the world, Jewish people all over the world, who were went to Jerusalem to celebrate this, this holiday. They all spoke various languages. If you read the passage, what's happening? The gospel's going through supernaturally through these disciples as they're speaking languages they did not know to people who spoke those languages who were not normally in Jerusalem. You know what that is? It's a reversal of Babel. Isn't this beautiful? God's reversing that curse by this supernatural gift of tongues, and now all these foreign people in Jerusalem are hearing the gospel. What happens? Thousands get saved in a single day. They were baptized. They began gathering together in worship and prayer and the teaching of the word. They continued to grow. They continued to multiply themselves. And by God's uh, work and his uh, sometimes uh, forcing his way, as we see in Acts, other times the church choosing in obedience, right? They multiplied and went to a new city to gather more people and to worship Jesus, to gather together for teaching, for worship, for prayer, for community, to go and spread the good news in that city. And the work was continually multiplied, and more and more groups of people continued to gather in new places. More people were baptized. And he had Saul, who had a radical encounter with Jesus, became the Apostle Paul. And he was the first to bring this good news to Europe. And the same thing happened, right? People were baptized. They started gathering together, worshiping Jesus, breaking bread together, living life together, spreading the gospel to those around them. And then those groups multiplied. Other people came together, worshiped Jesus, and were baptized, living life together. You see the pattern here. For 1,500 years, the gospel spread, and these groups of people became a very diversified worldwide phenomenon. It underwent various forms, various changes and alterations, but you can still trace, if you look through church history, there's always been a remnant of men and women living radical lives for Jesus, spreading this good news and multiplying themselves and planting new groups, as we call churches, assemblies of God's people all over the world. And then about 500, whatever years ago, not a, 600 years ago, I see my, people get, went from Europe and found this new world, right, on ships. And eventually it started making colonies here. And then what happened? Church buildings started popping up. Christians came here and they started gathering together, worshiping like they had for about 1,500 years. More and more churches started. More and more groups of people started being planted. And now all these centuries later in our own nation, we've grown to be 300 million strong, right? And today here in Redeemer Tom's River, we find ourselves pursuing this great commission of Jesus Christ, just as Peter and his original 120 disciples did, because they sought to multiply themselves. It's not a stretch to say this by any means, because Peter and those men were willing to do what they did and to begin multiplying themselves. 2,000 years later, here we are in Tom's River, New Jersey, with the opportunity to multiply ourselves and begin a new church on the Jersey Shore. Amen? Amen. Awesome. <laughs> so now, this next portion is really exciting for any service um, we have here. Well, before we get into this baptism, we're going to have a baptism up next. Uh, I'm going to do something a little different in light of today. It's a pretty unique Sunday. Um, not only has baptism been something that Christ has ordained for us, right? It's one of the sacraments since the church's inception. But he also asked us to remember his death regularly. 
to the taking of communion. These are the two primary sacraments of the church. So what we are going to do in the service today is, as usual, in the next, uh, few, in the next minute, we're going to walk up. We're going to grab the cup and the bread. If I could have our ushers be ready to do that. I don't see them. Oh, movement. There we go. Ha <laughs> ha. There we go. So we have communion up front here. Come get the uh, bread and the juice. Think about all the things you just heard. God is reversing this curse, right? So we can go multiply this, this group of people to tell other people about Jesus and see his glory spread from sea to sea. Knowledge of the Lord cover this whole earth, right? Remember that it started with his death, the reconciliation of God and man. Come up, grab these elements, but sit back down and don't take them. Then we're going to experience a baptism right behind us, which is going to be really awesome. And after the baptism is over, Pastor Tim will come and he'll guide us through communion. So we'll be taking, essentially, as these two churches are together today, we'll be celebrating a communion all as one together after seeing a new member of our church family here be baptized um, who has recently professed Christ. So um, as you're delivering these uh, to these tables, let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that we are a sent uh, people by the help of your spirit. When, when you ended that paragraph, you said, Lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. Lord, we have seen the past two millennia. You have been with your church. The church has not been perfect. We've done a lot of stupid things in your name. Jesus, forgive us. But Lord, in all of our imperfections, in our sin, Lord, in our, in our weaknesses as we're just fighting to be uh, uh, your image and to mirror you and look like you, Lord, in our feeble efforts, we want to see the Jersey Shore um, reached, Lord, to see not people just receive a, a hell insurance to go about their business, but, Lord, to see lives changed and, and, and families restored because of you and to see addictions reversed, Lord, to see hope enter people's hearts, Lord, to see... Um, new life breathed into people who have no hope. Lord, you are our only hope. And Lord, with that heart, we want to see um, churches all up and down the Jersey Shore. So Jesus, what a unique uh, opportunity this really is. Lord, only you have um, built this church to the point where we are even able to do this. In many ways, Lord, we still don't feel like we're able to do this. Lord, we need your help. And thank you for that promise. You are with us. Lord, you are with us. I pray this will not be the last church that Redeemer Tom's River plants. Lord, I pray this will be just the first of many services like this where this church gets to send out more church plants, Lord. So would you equip these saints here? Would you equip the saints of Redeemer Point Pleasant, Redeemer Tom's River to go and to be little Christ in your name in all of our spheres of life. Fill us with your spirit, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.